Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'm so glad you're all listening again. Now, today, I'm going to talk with somebody that I met just a week and a half ago. Uh, Some of you will know uh, from following my blog at thebridgehead.ca or the columns I write for LifeSite News, I was recently at the uh, Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit in Houston, Texas, and it was a really fascinating experience because... Of course, I, I do a lot of anti-porn work at an organization called Strength to Fight, which is based out of Ottawa, but there are those of us who do speaking on pornography across Canada. And it was the first time I really got to meet uh, literally hundreds of people who are working against uh, sexual exploitation in all of its different forms, and a lot of experts on pornography were there. Uh, Some of you will know I recently wrote a book called The Culture War, so I'm quite up to date on the most recent anti-porn research. And it was really interesting to get to meet a lot of the academics that I had quoted in my book and a lot of the people whose work I had just spent months poring over and, and taking notes on. And there was a lot of other people there as well. What was the most interesting, if I had to really pinpoint it, uh, from this conference was, was the huge variety uh, of different backgrounds of the people that were there. The, the uh, anti-porn issue really is an ecumenical one, and people are coming at it from all different kinds of reasons. So uh, you have the feminist critiques by people like Dr. Gail Dines, and of course her rape culture arguments would be something that I myself would agree with. Uh, then you've got, of course, people coming at it from the, uh, the Christian point of view, the Catholic point of view, uh, you know, of course, fight the new drug. Uh, was was founded by Mormons in Utah. So you have just a whole different range of beliefs. And then, of course, you have uh, the non-religious angle of it. You have a lot of people that are increasingly coming out and speaking against pornography because, from their perspective, uh, pornography just basically did a lot to ruin their life. And one guy from Reboot Nation uh, was... He gave a very interesting presentation. His name was uh, Gabe Deem. And I'm not going to tell you too much about him because he's going to tell us his story in just a moment. But he he was a part of a, a group of people that was at this conference who weren't coming from a religious perspective, not coming from any kind of ideological perspective like Dr. Gail Dines would. He was just talking about how porn affected him. And that's one of the reasons the story is his story, I think, is quite compelling because you start to realize that porn is toxic and porn is poisonous, aside from the fact that pornography often highlights horrific and degrading uh, ways of, of representing women and calling them awful names. And besides the fact that it's the number one relationship destroyer now in North America, uh, aside all of that, there are still yet more reasons uh, that you should stay away from porn, and that's because porn is actually physically unhealthy. So Gabe Deem... Uh, agreed to join us from Texas, and this is that conversation. So let's start off. Tell our listeners a bit about your story. How did you get into the anti-porn movement, of all things? Well, uh, I grew up with unlimited access to porn. Um, I found a Playboy magazine when I was eight. I was watching cable porn at 10 years old and uh, internet porn at 12, and I watched internet porn for a decade and it eventually led me to a time when I was around 23 years old. I went to have sex with a beautiful girl I was really attracted to, and uh, my body couldn't function at all. I couldn't get uh, an erection no matter what we tried, or despite the fact that I was really attracted to her. So I did what anyone would do. I got on 
Google and I started searching for answers. Um, and I eventually found forums with thousands of, you know, teenagers and 20 year olds with the same problem. They had used internet porn for several years and then they no longer could be aroused by their partner. And so that kind of caught me off guard. You know, I had never heard that porn could have a negative effect. Um, never really cared about my porn use or I wasn't, you know, I wasn't ashamed around my porn use. I just thought it would be awesome to use a lot of porn and it would make me better at sex. So once I realized it had the opposite effect, I was like, oh my gosh, the world needs to know that this is a potential problem for, you know, young kids that are using it. And I was also seeing, you know, posts from young guys all over the internet that were you know, they were desperate for help, seeking and searching answers. They'd go to the doctor, and the doctor would tell them, you know, it's all in their head. If they, you know, if they were young with erectile dysfunction, the doctor would tell them it's probably just performance anxiety. And so I noticed that, you know, the potential negative effects of porn needed to be, you know, known to the world. And so that's kind of what led me to speaking up and sharing my story. So, yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is I have Facebook, like most of the listeners, and I've seen probably dozens of articles now from Salon.com, Huffington Post, uh, Slate. Uh, mm -hmm. I read one in uh, The Independent the other day about a study that said uh, porn actually makes people more feminist and is healthy for your sex life. So it, <laughs> it, it shouldn't be surprising that a lot of people think that porn is at, at bet, or at worst, pardon me, harmless. But obviously that's not the case. So where is, where is this alternative case coming from? Well, I mean, like you said, there's there's been a lot of mainstream media saying porn's super healthy for the last 20 years, and um, that's what my friends and I found when we were kids. I watched several TV shows around the age of 11, 12, 13, where, you know, like the Howard Stern show or maybe some uh, late-night sex talk show where they had a sexologist on there saying porn will spice up the bedroom and stuff like that. Um, but the alternative viewpoints coming from us, you know, young guys who grew up consuming porn all through our adolescence and it ended up screwing us up and um, we're now dependent on porn to even function sexually and then not only that we recover um, after we quit porn I regained my sexual function and the same uh, story is true for thousands of other guys so now you know historically speaking people that spoke up against porn um, you know, had a moral argument against it, but that's not the case where I'm coming from and where a lot of these young guys are coming from. We thought it would be sex positive, but it ended up completely destroying our sex lives and being sex negative. Well, and that's what's sort of interesting, because there are a lot of cases against porn. There's the, the case that people make mm -hmm. that it degrades the people in it. There's the case that feminists like Gail Dines would make that it, it fuels rape culture. There's, of course, the moral, uh, uh, the moral case against porn. But you're coming at this from an almost exclusively scientific perspective based on your experience mm -hmm. that, you know, porn screw you up, as you say, and then when you remove that variable you recovered. So yeah. how do you respond in debates to people who say, well, the evidence, the studies that we have are basically uh, disqualify your story from being taken seriously by people in the discussion about pornography? Well, I don't know what evidence they would be referring to. Um, we have now over 20 studies on, um, you know, brain studies on porn users, and all of those studies point to the possibility of porn addiction being a real thing. Um, and even the studies that, uh, there's one study, or two now actually, that uh, the researcher claimed disproves porn addiction. But, you know, there's been um, five or more reviews by other neuroscientists that actually say that um, her findings align with the porn addiction model. 
So if you look at it, all evidence uh, supports the possibility of porn addiction. And then on the topic of porn-induced sexual dysfunctions, we now have uh, three different studies that had case studies where young guys had erectile dysfunction that was unexplained by any other variable, and they had them remove porn use, and they all um, recovered. I think the only exception where the guys didn't recover are the guys that couldn't quit watching porn. So if you look at the evidence, it all um, supports what I'm saying in my experiences, and it definitely needs to be studied more. But, um, yeah. So here's an interesting thing, because the, the idea of porn addiction, the word addiction is often what's debated, and you've got people like Dr. Marianne Layden saying that, you know, porn functions just like a drug, and I know you've done a lot of research into this. Explain to our mm-hmm. listeners how porn actually does function very similarly to drugs. Well, there's, a, there's several addiction-related brain changes that are seen in all addictions. You have um, sensitization, which can be summed up as a super memory of pleasure, like Pavlov's dog that wires his brain for a stimulus. Um, which, you know, can really, uh, can lead to, uh, hypersensitivity to cues. Um, and that's been shown in several studies such as the, uh, 2014 Cambridge study. So that's sensitization, which can be, you know, it's just wiring your brain for porn. And then the other one is desensitization, which is numbing your brain to all pleasure. And this is seen in like a, a decline in dopamine receptors, for example, and there's a Simone Kuhn, a researcher from Germany, she found that in her study. Um, and then there's hypofrontality, which is a brain change that uh, it basically explains a lack of decision-making, um, inhibited decision-making, if you will, and it's uh, in the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And that's been seen in several studies, too. So those are the main brain changes that happen in um, substance addictions like alcohol, cocaine, and obviously, you know, to be fair, there's additional brain changes that happen with substances, but those same brain changes happen with behaviors, which is why gambling has been seen as a serious addiction. And now, um, you know, tons of research is rolling out on video games, internet addiction, and porn addiction as well. And they all uh, have similarities. Now, for, for somebody who's listening and, you know, using porn, even if it's casually or, you know, that porn use is escalating, kind of walk them through what will happen to their brain as they begin to shift from casual porn use to compulsive porn use. Yeah, so, um, well, it can happen a couple different ways. Uh, a porn user can escalate um, in both duration of use, where you start to watch for longer and longer periods of time, um, or you can escalate how I escalated, and I just uh, I became hooked on the novelty that it provided. So, you know, instead of watching, you know, one or two clips per session, I was watching compilation videos, which thanks to YouTube, uh, porn sites now mimic um, YouTube, and they have unlimited videos that you can stream for insta- um, instantly and have multiple tabs open at the same time, multiple windows playing five or six videos while you search for another one in another window. And the novelty that a porn addict can have is just out of this world and something we haven't been able to experience before. Um, and then you can also escalate a genre where, you know, the porn that you're watching becomes boring as you habituate yourself to it or become desensitized. And then you need a bigger neurochemical hit and you start watching stuff that's more shocking, maybe anxiety producing or something that you fear um, just to give your brain that bigger neurochemical hit. Uh, neurochemical hit, and then you escalate into more shocking material. 
Now it's interesting because you know what we just we just met at this conference in Houston, Texas last weekend, and there was a huge mm-hmm. combination of different perspectives on this. Right, there was feminists yeah. there, Christians, atheists, non-religious, and pretty much <laughs> everything in between. But what I find interesting uh, that both you were saying, uh, as well as Alexander Rhodes of NoFap.com, is that hundreds of thousands of guys are are now talking about this on on internet forums. And, you know, both of you guys mentioned that guys are getting suicidal as they realize that in their early yeah. 20s, they, they seem to be broken already, that, you know, this is not mm-hmm. something that traditionally happens to people in, in that age category. Why is there not more discussion on this? Because it seems like it would be difficult to ignore hundreds of thousands of guys, uh, probably even yeah. more than that, because these are just numbers uh, that you guys are aware of. So there's probably a lot who aren't really thrilled to talk about, you know, being a 22-year-old with ED, why is this not being noticed more? Because especially in a a quote-unquote sex-positive culture, this seems like the kind of thing that would make the news here and there. Yeah, um, and I'm pretty frustrated that it's not talked about more. Uh, You know, there's only a handful of guys that are speaking up with their faces to this now. Um, And I think in just the last two years, we have seen a drastic increase of mainstream exposure to the topic. So, for instance, you know, Time Magazine did a cover story that featured myself, Alexander, and Noah Church. Um, And then, you know, MTV was interested. You had uh, Chelsea Handler on Netflix uh, and several other mainstream media outlets picked it up. So we have seen an increase just in the last two years, and that's only, you know, I've only been speaking up for the last two or three years myself. So I'm a little optimistic that as we keep um, raising awareness, more and more people will talk about it. But I think another reason it hasn't been talked about much is because there's not a whole lot of research on the uh, porn-induced sexual dysfunctions. Um, But that's been rolling out in the last year. And it just takes a little while, I think, for journalists and producers to want to buy into a topic and cover it um, because they probably fear they're going to be attacked because of, like you said, this pornified culture that we live in a lot of people are skeptical, and they want very solid proof before you start talking about something in, um, you know, a very serious media outlet kind of way. And so I don't know. I think uh, I think with time, the conversation will grow, especially as more and more young guys speak out. And um, reality is going to win in the end because you have so many young people suffering, so many relationships being torn apart, and I get messages from teenagers every day that you know, like you said, are suicidal. Or they're just desperate for help. And um, a lot of therapists and urologists that are working with these young guys are starting to speak up. So I think it's just going to have a snowball effect, and eventually no one will be able to ignore it anymore. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, because you said before that you were kind of at the, at the beginning of the porn generation, right? The first generation yeah. that grew up with access to this kind of stuff. So, in a Yeah, way, I was like 12 when, I was 11 when High Speed Internet came out back in 1999. So right, right at the very tip, and basically, you know, the the first porn generation, as I've heard it go mm-hmm. before, it maybe is it is it true that the research isn't there yet? Simply because uh, there's there's a massive tsunami of guys affected by this that just haven't haven't come yeah. out yet. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, let's look at the order of events. So, right after YouTube came out and the porn site switched to streaming videos, and that's really what upped the ante of the novelty you had an explosion of guys on forums around 2008 start popping up. And Norman Doidge wrote in his book back in 2007 um, that he started seeing this first wave of guys. 
um, showing up with erectile dysfunction and low libido for their real-life partners. And it's only increased since then. Um, Philip Zimbardo gave a TED Talk in 2011 pointing this out that a, a growing number of young guys are losing their motivation for life and their ability to function sexually with women. Um, and it is growing and growing and growing. And now that it's um, hard to ignore, you've had three case studies come out in just the last uh, two years having urologists work with these young guys and remove porn use and see them um, recover. So, yeah, I think in the next couple of years, you'll see more and more studies coming out because uh, the urologists and the guys that are seeing this increase in young men, they're the ones that are going to have to uh, raise the, you know, raise the alarm and let everyone know that this is a real thing. And it's encouraging to know that um, just this past year, the American um, Urology Association, I believe it's what it's called, uh, there was a presentation dedicated to porn-induced ED, and that was a talk given to a room full of urologists. So they are, they are aware of it, and they are going to be um, increasingly speaking out about it. Yeah, and that was interesting because last weekend in Houston, uh, neurosurgeon David Lifton actually uh, pulled up a picture of the big six tobacco mm-hmm. uh, executives and said that one day uh, those academics who insist on defending pornography are going to be seen the same way we saw those who defended big tobacco and claimed that there were no adverse health effects from tobacco. And I know that you've tangled with a couple of the uh, what David Lifton called porn profs yourself. What sorts <laughs> of interactions have you had with them? Well, um, first off, I'll just say I disagree completely with what they say. I, I think most of the people, it's a vocal minority. Um, the people that are speaking up and saying that uh, I'm full of misinformation and that we're making our stories up, I, I think their talking points are easily refuted. And so the interactions that I've had, they usually just shut down conversation and debate because they don't have answers. For instance, I've been blocked on Twitter by several of them and um refused to uh go on shows with me and stuff like that so i don't i don't approach the topic as a me versus the industry i don't even consider myself anti-porn i actually consider myself just pro-education right and so it's pretty telling when the people that are against me won't even engage in conversation with me because they can't answer my you know facts and scientific studies that I give them, they just, you know, run away and shut down conversations. So I don't know. I, I, I would like to see more dialogue moving forward. But so far, I've seen one side claiming that we're liars, but they won't engage in debate with us. Now, this is interesting because one name crops up all the time. Uh, at the uh, Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Summit last weekend, four separate mm-hmm. speakers, including yourself, mentioned one name, David Lay. And I started taking a look at all of these articles pumping up porn as a really good thing, and I realized that he's the main guy that they quote every single time because he wrote the book, The Myth of Sex Addiction. And uh, you were were telling us uh, the other night about uh, your tangle with him on the Katie Couric show and the response to the things that he was saying. Tell us a bit about that because I found that that interaction uh, very revealing of his ability to refute testimonies by people like yourself. Yeah, that was a pretty fun show. <laughs> so, first of all, myself and another guy shared our stories of how porn affected us. And we both said we were exposed at eight. And then right after that, Katie Crick asked him about, you know, should eight-year-olds be exposed to porn? And he said, well, first of all, that's a myth. Eight-year-olds aren't exposed to porn, which I found pretty funny because we just said we were. Um, and then another thing, you know, I shared my story of how porn, you know, led to erectile dysfunction. 
And then his response on the show was, there's no evidence for that. And what's funny about that is they just talked about the Cambridge 2014 study that reported 60% of the subjects had erectile dysfunction with their partners, but not with porn. So that was funny to me. Um, and then she just pressed him. You know, she pressed him, do you think it's okay that kids should watch porn? And he would not answer her yes or no. He wouldn't do it. And I believe that's because he knows that if he admits that kids shouldn't watch porn, he has to answer why. Like, why shouldn't kids watch porn? And so it's just interesting. But he doesn't want to admit that. And um, I don't know. I feel like that's the most telling thing is that he's, so uh, caught up in his agenda to promote his book and his career and all his talking points that he won't even admit that little kids shouldn't watch porn. The only answer he gave later on after the show was in a Psychology Today blog post, and he just said, oh, they shouldn't watch it because it's adult entertainment. That's all he said. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, Dr. Gail Dines was telling us about how she was laying a lot of this evidence out at a debate in Australia, and uh, just as Lay responded to you, uh, a bunch of the people on the panel said things to her like, those are just anecdotes, those stories mean nothing, and she said suddenly throughout the crowd, all these people started standing up and saying, I'm an anecdote, I'm an anecdote, I'm an anecdote, and kind of proving Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of anecdotes end up creating data points proving a wider trend and i believe that you said that a lot of the people commenting on that on that debate actually pointed out that david lay was lying because their experience actually reflected your own yeah yeah the the whole audience during that show was you know just baffled that he would not say that little kids shouldn't watch porn and then also if you look at the comment sections on the youtube video and other videos it's just full of guys saying well he doesn't know what he's talking about i'm addicted and that goes back to kind of what I was saying. I think reality is winning because our generation grew up with porn, and we all know that it can influence our sexuality, um, and we all know it can have a negative impact, especially the big chunk of us that were addicted or experienced dysfunctions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, uh, the reactions that people have now, it's different than it was 10 years ago because now you have a bunch of 20-somethings and 30-somethings that grew up with it, and we know reality. Now, let's, let's focus a little bit on some of the more encouraging stuff. I know you refer to Dr. Norman Deutsch in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, pretty often in your presentations. And I do, I do talks in pornography quite a bit as well. And a lot of times I'll have guys ask me, you know, can my brain recover from this? And, of course, uh, that's a, a sort of a, a question of neuroscience to some degree. So maybe you can explain to give hope to those who are listening who use Mm -hmm. pornography, the the neuroscience behind how their brain can actually evolve back to factory settings, as you will. Yeah, there's there's tons of hope. Um, First off, let me say, you know, I recovered and I've seen thousands and thousands of guys recover. I've been monitoring forums for about five years now. And there's been so many guys that were absolutely hopeless, um, suicidal, that ended up coming out completely healthy and fine. So let me just say that first. Um, But as far as the brain, we know that it can regain sensitivity. We know that neuroplasticity is alive and well our entire lives. Um, That book that Norman Deutsch wrote is phenomenal. Just the stories in there are incredible if anyone's interested. Um, But you can regain sensitivity, um, and your uh, sensitized pathways over time will weaken. And then you can also uh, regain the control in your frontal cortex and your frontal lobes. Um, so the brain is really phenomenal, and I've noticed myself that my decision-making has gotten better as I've stayed away from porn. Um, my sensitivity to all things sexual has increased. 
Um, and like I said, I can function again. So my, you know, conditioned arousal pathways in my brain have weakened clearly. Um, so yeah, I mean, not to get too specific because I'm not a neuroscientist, but um, the brain can change and there's always hope. And we're seeing it play out in guys that have severe erectile dysfunction. We're talking teenagers and they're recovering over several months of abstinence. And uh, it's pretty, it's pretty beautiful if you ask me the and it's not just sexual function. You get mental clarity, increased motivation, increased uh, empathy and compassion. And it's just, you know, the, the benefits are pretty phenomenal and endless. So from your perspective, uh, just as sort of a final thing to the listeners, give, give them a bunch of reasons that they shouldn't watch porn besides what you've already just highlighted to them. Yeah. Well, first of all, I like to tell guys that Porn took for me the one thing that I thought it would give me, and that's the ability to experience sexual pleasure. And then also, there's no amount of porn that can ever love you back. So for the guys that are, you know, turning to porn because of a lack of a relationship, it's never going to fulfill them right. and be able to give them that connection. But then also, you know, sex is better um, without porn, in my experience and opinion. I, uh, I have more sensitivity. I, I connect with my partner more deeply. Um, I, uh, enjoy the overall experience more. So, you know, my approach is there's nothing more sex negative than porn. It's a, you know, completely pleasure focused. I think that staying away from porn is the best thing a young guy can do if he wants to have a great, you know, sexual experience with his, uh, partner. And so one last message, where can guys go to get a lot of this information? Because, I know Gary Wilson is somebody you mention a lot, but for guys out there who are like, okay, this discussion really clarified a lot of the neuroscience for me, and it kind of explains a bit of what's been happening to me, where can they go to find the kind of information you've been telling us about? Yeah, well, I always point people to Your Brain on Porn, and that's Gary Wilson's site. Uh, there's a lot of informational videos on there and articles that are pretty easy to understand, and I think that's a great place to start. Um, and if you want help, encouragement, support, or just a, you know, if you want to read people's stories, or if you maybe want to share your story yourself, you can check out my site, rebootnation.org, or there's other forums out there like nofap.com, yourbrainrebalance.com. The, the main point is there's information that's easily digestible, and there's also so much support if you want it. And I would encourage everyone to at least whether you think you're addicted or not, just to experience what life is like without porn, because a lot of guys haven't done that. We've used porn since we were little kids. So just try and go without it. Um, if you find it difficult or if you notice any changes, that's a pretty clear sign that you, uh, you've been affected by it, and um, you'll probably end up reaping the benefits that I've described that myself experienced. Well, Gabe, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man.